Um, so I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Once you were dead because you were disobedient and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us. We are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good, the good things he planned for us long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I think I'm breathing into this thing and it's making funny noises. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to come again to bring you God's word. And uh, again, welcome to all those who are watching online this morning. We're continuing, of course, our, uh, our walk through Ephesians. And... Uh, um, of course, Aaron uh, took you through the prayer, um, uh, Paul's prayer, last week, um, and uh, his catchphrase, his sermon in a sentence was, Christ is my redeemer and reward, and therefore I will offer my utmost for his highest. And so today, we move into the second chapter of Ephesians, and uh, Paul begins to talk, and you remember that Paul is speaking here to the church, he's speaking to the saints of God, and again, I think uh, Aaron spoke about that last week. So, my sermon in a sentence today is to be made alive in Christ gives us purpose, meaning and hope, and I think in our worship time and uh, in our prayer time, etc., that's really been coming through this morning, I've sat there and watched it. I always have uh, the privilege of knowing what I'm going to talk about. And uh, it's, it's amazing how the sermon uh, all helps to contribute to that. If I had thought about it a bit more, I would have perhaps said it in this way and then it would fit with our theme, therefore, a little more. Perhaps I would have said, I am made alive in Christ, therefore, my life has purpose, meaning and hope. So... Uh, if you can remember that, 
that's um, perhaps a better way that I would have said it. The new pastor decided that he would visit his congregation so that he might get to know his people a little bit better. He went to one house and he knocked on the door and he was pretty sure someone was home but no one answered, no one came out. And he kept knocking for about a couple of minutes and could hear movement, could see that the even though the security door was closed, the main door was open and nobody came out. And so he thought, well, I'll just leave my visiting card. So he took his visiting card out and he wrote on the card, Revelation 3.20. Anybody? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The next Sunday at church, through the offering bowl, his card was returned to him. And underneath the text that he had written there was another scriptural reference. And it said Genesis 3.10, which says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. (laughs) And so I hid. You know, that verse, uh, Revelations 3.20, we often use that uh, when we're talking about evangelism. Uh, You know, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if we open the door, Jesus Jesus will come in. But I think there are many times in our lives that Jesus continues to knock on the door. He continues to, uh, uh, to want to be invited in to our lives, to the things that we're doing. But, uh, So often we get bombarded with the things of the world. I'm so glad we're talking about hope this morning in our worship time because so often, and it's it's no different at the moment, we get bombarded with the things of the world and uh, we become afraid and naked. In my more despondent moments, especially when I'm watching the TV news or navel-gazing about my own weaknesses and failings, I, I wonder if we could ever be more despairing about our world than we are today. I I imagine every generation would say that, but uh, this is my generation, this is the one I'm living in, and I I really uh, look around me and I'm concerned. But if we focus too long on this, we can lose sight of God's presence and we can feel afraid and naked. Because today the world is a confusing place. Of course, as I said, every age is confused about its troubles because we all get too close to it to really get an accurate focus of the whole historical perspective and where God's at work. And every generation breeds its prophets of doom. However, in our place in history, we do live in a unique situation, I think, in the life of the world. We live in a global village and the information superhighway ensures we have instant knowledge at our fingertips. And so through the media, we're able to grasp the extent and the depth of evil around the world. And perhaps this is what makes our world look so dark at times. 
for we see the world's rising economic problems. Um, and I, I guess it's even more acute at the moment because of the pandemic. We, we think it's wonderful that the government's throwing money around, don't we? But we also say, well, at some point, somebody's going to have to pay the doctor or the um, whatever. You know, somebody's going to have to pay for all of this. And so it's concerning. We look at the degradation of the environment around us through consumerism and the rape of natural resources. We look at the growth of social conflict heightened by racism and selfish individualism and lower family values today. We look at the loss of accepted moral absolutes which lead to dishonesty and uh, violence and disrespect and sexual liberalism. And it seems to me that humanity just can't manage its affairs or create a just, free and humane and peaceful society. But the good news is, today, Paul encourages us out of confusion, out of our despair towards spiritual growth, so that we can see beyond the world and its contradictions in order to see the enormity of God's grace and his eternal purposes, what I like to call life beyond life. Life beyond life. And so that we're able to recognise and participate in God's grace and his purposes over against the uncertainty and the fear that we see in our world. Well, Paul reassures us in this passage, we are God's masterpiece. You feel like God's masterpiece? Yes? <laughs> we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so against the sombre background of our world, Paul's words stand out in striking relevance for us today. So as we continue to look at Ephesians today, we see that Paul's expounding this wonderful gift of grace. Uh, and then in... Uh, so that we see that in, in the, the first few chapters of, uh, of Ephesians, from 1 to 3, um, where... Paul is talking to the, to the church and he's expanding this wonderful gift of grace that we have and the, and the fact that we're able to participate in this life. And then again, uh, which we'll get on to in a couple of weeks' time from verse 4 on, uh, there's the therefore. And uh, Paul then goes on to encourage us to live because of the grace that we have in Christ, because of the wonderful joy that we know in him, Therefore, he encourages us to go on and live in the grace that we've been given. But today we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And if we look at that uh, passage for a moment, we can see that it, would, it could be divided into three sections. And this is basically what I want to uh, talk about this morning, these three sections. Verses 1 to 3 is how we were. Paul talks about how we were. And then verses 4 to 7 is God's response to how we were. And then finally, our response to God's grace. 
few years ago, uh, there was a movie that I quite enjoyed. It wasn't the sort of movie that you could enjoy because it was a happy sort of movie. It was called The Green Mile. Anybody seen The Green Mile? Yeah, it's, it's like me, it's getting old now. <laughs> um, but it was a movie that uh, Tom Hanks uh, starred in and a guy called Michael Clark Duncan and uh, it was uh, written from a novel by Stephen King. I'm not really a fan of Stephen King but this movie, The Green Mile, was uh, a great movie for many reasons. But in particular, The Green Mile is a reference to Death Row and it was set in a prison uh, in the Depression days and... Um, in the, great, in, in the southern part of uh, America. And of course there were prisoners there who were on death row. And so from this movie, and I'm not sure if this is where this um, saying started, but it certainly started for me there, in this movie it was uh, coined the phrase, um, dead men walking, dead men walking. Now in this passage, Paul says, once you were dead, because of your transgressions and sins. That's the reading, that's the words from the NIV translation. Transgressions and sins. Once you were dead, because of your transgressions and sins. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. And that is to say, before Christ, we were, as Bill Hybels says, far from God. Miles away from God. We were as dead men walking. Because our nature was to follow the passions of the flesh. Now when Paul talks about the flesh, he doesn't mean our physical body. But he's talking about our self-centred nature. He's talking about the normal desires of the body. For food, sleep and sex. Now they aren't sinful in themselves. God made us that way. Made us for food, made us for sleep, made us to enjoy the gift of, of sex. However, wherever selfish desire is working in those areas, it is working against God and it's working against others as well. And wherever those things are occurring, there is the flesh. It is our evil nature coming to the fore. And outside of God, Paul says, uh, it's our self-centred nature that is coming to the fore. Now Paul traces this condition of being in the flesh to two things. The first one is trespass, human trespass, and the second is human sin. Why the distinction between trespass and sin? It's interesting. I think Paul deliberately chose these words to carefully give us an accurate description of human evil. The first word, uh, trespass or a trespass, simply means a false step. A false step. And it signifies crossing a line or a boundary that God has set in place in his created order. When God created the world, he set things in place so that it would all work uh, as it should. And to cross a line or a boundary that God has set uh, is to be outside of the order of God. So to 
Across this, la- this uh, boundary that God has set um, is to eliminate... Oh, sorry, I've lost my place. What I wanted to say, the, the ultimate crossing of the line, the ultimate crossing of uh, disobedience in, in humankind uh, was in the Garden of Eden where Christ, sorry, where uh, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge in the garden. That was the ultimate crossing disobedience. And this is arguably the greatest sin of this present age. The blurring of boundaries or saying that there is no limits. If it feels good, just do it. Yet humankind need to have boundaries. That's the way we've been created. That's the way God intended it for be, for us to live. To uh, live within the boundaries for personal and for communal cohesion. That's how the world works. So we need to be aware of the boundaries that God has set around us. The other word that Paul uses is sin, and this simply means to miss the mark or to fall short of a standard. To sin is, not to, is to not measure up to God's perfect standard. For all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul said in another place. So these two words that Paul uses covers the active and the passive aspects of our offence against God. They cover our deliberate disobedience, that is when we step over a line, that is a deliberate disobedience, and they also cover our weaknesses and our mistakes. We might not be aware of it at the time, but those things result in our alienation uh, from God. For true life, full life, is fellowship with the living God. But spiritual death is the separation that sin, sin brings. And so Isaiah cries out across the centuries, it's your sin that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, God has turned away and will not listen anymore. Sin takes us far from God. In sin, we are enslaved by the devil. We are in bondage to our culture. And we are captives to the desires of our body and our mind. Before Christ set us free, we were bound in our rebellion against God's, against God's loving authority and under the influence of Satan. I say it again, we were far from God. But now we look at God's response to how we were. Paul says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Could I have the next slide, please? This is a, a cupboard that I have in my home. And it's a cupboard that I love very much. Uh, and I'm quite proud of it, to be honest. It's probably over a hundred years old, this cupboard. 
and uh, it belonged to my great aunt and when she passed away it came into my care and uh, at that point I didn't treasure it that much and I painted it white <laughs> and I took it down to my workshop because I was working in a workshop there and I just used to store tools and things in it and it got pretty wrecked as you can imagine it got wet it got started to bubble uh, and um, it didn't look very good at all and so later on when uh, I was looking for something to do I decided I would restore my cupboard and so I pulled it to pieces and piece by piece, I painstakingly got the white paint off it, which is not easy because it gets into the grain. And uh, I completely restored the cupboard. And it's uh, quite, as I say, quite a precious thing to me now. Probably doesn't quite fit in with our uh, furniture, etc. But it's not going anywhere, I can tell you. As we um, look around our society today, we find that people are really into restoring things. We see a lot of programs on television, etc., where people are shown how to restore all sorts of things, houses and motor cars and all sorts of stuff. Well, I want to tell you that God is not part of the throwaway society. God is the original recycler. God is into rebuilding and restoring, into re reinstating and re-establishing us. Up to this point, I haven't had time to talk to uh, the issue of God's anger. I noticed when I was writing this, I put it off. I guess we don't want to talk about God's anger, do we? We really don't like to think about it. Yet Paul says in this passage, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. By our very nature, we were outside of God, and so we were subject to his anger. NIV says wrath. We were subject to God's wrath. Now, wrath means much more than just anger. Wrath is much more like rage and fury. And that's how we were subject to God. But I want to tell you that God's wrath is never directed directly is never directed at us. I'll say that again. God's anger is never directed at us. Any more than a parent's anger is directed at a willful child. I think we should all get into the habit of saying to people, maybe our children or people have heard us, we love you very much, but we don't like your actions. We don't like your behaviour. And I think this is the way God treats us. He hates the things we do. He hates the sin that is in our heart. That's where his wrath is directed, at the sin in our hearts. And I think one of the greatest uh, examples of how God loves us is this, the story of the prodigal son. Or I, actually, I like to call it the, the prodigal God because God loves us recklessly um, and uh, so we see there how uh, even though the son runs away, God loves him. The, the father loves the son and longs for him to return home. And I think that's how God treats us too. 
while we're outside of Christ, while we live in a self-centered, arrogant, independent spirit, God's wrath is directed at that evil nature that is within us. And while we remain in that independent state, yes, we are in great peril. Don't let this be a get-out-of-jail-free thing at all. While we remain in that state, in that nature, we are in peril. However, there is hope. Because verse 4 begins with that tiny statement that gives us optimism and promise. But God. But God. God is so rich in mercy and loves us so much that even though we were dead in our arrogant independence, he gave us life when he raised Christ. God loves us and God has saved us. Some people believe these verses represent a hymn which celebrated God's glory and sola gratia or grace alone. For God has included us in the life and work of Christ. You hear that? God has included us, those of us who have responded to his invitation. God has included us in the life and work of Christ. As Christians, we believe that God has made Christ alive again, don't we? God raised him to the heavenly places and he has seated him at the right hand of the Father. The Apostle Creed, which we sometimes recite in church, affirms on the third day, he, Jesus Christ, rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of, of God. But you know, in this passage, Paul now affirms that we too, by God's grace alone, are given you life. We too are raised with him and we too are seated with him in his kingdom. For Paul says, God raised us from the dead with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united to Christ. And so we too, by virtue of our being in Christ, actually share in Christ's resurrection and ascension and in Christ's reign. And that is the promise that we have. Not yet realised, but it's a promise that we are participating in. And it will be realised at the time when Christ returns. You know, when someone hurts me, in my natural state, I want to get them back. Now, you wouldn't be like that, I understand it. But when someone hurts me, I have these rehearsed speeches that go through my mind, I'm going to get them back. Did you know God wants to get us back too? Did you know God wants to get us back too? He does, but not in that same vengeful way. God wants to get us back into relationship with him. As I said, God is the original restorer. And he wants to restore our original place and our original purpose, that for which he created us in the first place. God has a purpose for every person that's ever been created and he wants to get us back into that purpose. 
As Paul says, God's nature is rich in mercy and his love is so deep that even in our rebellion, he sent Jesus, his son. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he created for us the possibility to be made alive again, to be restored in him and to participate in his kingdom. And this possibility is only by grace. That is God's initiative and God's kindness. And thus we have no grounds grounds, uh, to boast. So our response to his grace. Well, of course, our response to God's grace is to firstly believe. Aaron, last week, uh, called people to make that step of faith, that step of belief, and to give their lives to Christ. And that is the first step of coming and being in Christ, to believe in Christ and to accept his gift by faith. And then, that's not the end of it. We are called to do the good things he planned for us long ago. Martin talked today about this uh, opportunity for ministry at the nursing home on a Thursday. Is is that one of the good things that we as a congregation can, can, can do? But not only do, is this something that God planned for us to do long ago? I don't know. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip here, but we really need to search out prayerfully what it is that God has for us to do and he planned for us to do when he began uh, the creation of the world. What is it that we are called to do? The good things that he planned for us to do long, long ago. The good things that God has planned for each one of us to do will be different for each Christian. It will depend on the gifts that God has poured into your life, both natural gifts and spiritual gifts. And they will be different according to what it is that God has called you to do. Paul says, be sure to do what you should. For then you will enjoy the personal satisfaction of having done your work well. And you, won't need to comprom- and you won't need to compare yourself with anyone. You know, I love that bit. Because I'm one of the world's biggest comparers, if that's a word. <laughs> I make comparisons between myself and between others all the time. Do you? No, of course you don't. <laughs> but if we're in the will of God, if we're doing the thing that God planned for us to do, Long ago, we don't need to compare ourselves with each other. We don't need to feel guilty because we're doing what it is that God's called us and created us and gifted us to do. The things that he's put in our heart to do. And generally, whatever it is that God calls you to do, you are called to serve. Whatever it is. It's a call to service. It's a call to serve God and it's a call to serve each other. And this gives our life purpose. And living in God's purpose has obvious advantages for us. Service gives my life 
and your life meaning. Service gives us hope for the future. Service makes life simpler. There are so many Christians who run around the place saying, I'm not really sure what God wants me to do. Read the Bible, it's obvious. There are so many things in the scriptures that tells us what God expects of us. And once we're in that uh, place of being in the will and purpose of God in our life, life's simple because that's all I need to do or worry about. Well, I don't even need to worry about it, to be honest. And uh, it gives my life focus and it motivates me to live life well and to the full and to make every day count. This is to live life in service. Jesus said, my purpose is to give life to all in all its fullness. Living in God's purpose prepares me for eternity. Life is not merely intended to live on this earthly plane. Life receives its fulfilment in the eternal heavenly plane, in the kingdom of God, in the rule of God. Life receives its fulfilment in the eternal heavenly plane, in the kingdom of God and the rule of God. So in Christ, we are made alive in him. We are made alive in him. And so as we face a darkening world, we need a point of reference. Like ships on a night sea, we need a light to locate us and to point the way. And Jesus is that light. He is the light that the world needs. In him we find our life and we find our direction. For we are made alive in Christ. In him we find our purpose and our meaning. And so as I finish, listen again to Paul's words. We are God's masterpiece. You are. God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things he planned for us long ago. Just take a moment to reflect on what you've heard. Father God, thank you for your continued goodness and love for us. We recognise that we're not always the perfect people that you call us to be. And we confess to you today that there are trespasses and sins in our lives. Things that we do deliberately, things that we do without even thinking about it. Sometimes in ignorance and sometimes not. Today, as we think about your wonderful grace and your offer to us, we recognise that we are your children and that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us and we can live on in that freedom and the light that you bring. 
and we can see hope in a darkened world. And we can say that we will not live in fear. We will not live in fear. Because you have it all in hand. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Pray that you'll bless us, that you'll give us direction and purpose. May we, each one of us, find what it is that you've called us to do and to do it with all our might. We pray these things in Jesus' name.